You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Happy Monday. Welcome in to Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain with you as always. Marcel Louis-Jacques filling in for Fitz. We're going to get him to spill some tea on the Dolphins a little bit later. That's his regular beat. But we got a whole lot of other good stuff to get to on this Monday as well, including an update to a story we spent a whole lot of time on about a month or so ago. Then we got caught up in NFL training camps, MLB trade deadline. And in case you didn't remember, we don't know where Kevin Durant is playing this year. And it sure sounds like that whole I want out on the Nets thing hasn't gone anywhere. In fact, the latest report is that Durant has told Nets owner Joe Sy in a meeting over the weekend that he does indeed want to be traded and that Joe Sy needs to choose between Durant or GM Sean Marks and coach Steve Nash. This is per The Athletic. He said he doesn't have faith in the team's direction and he doesn't want to work with that pair. Now, Marcel, this is confusing because at one point reports were that Kevin Durant was the guy who asked for Steve Nash. And then we've seen say people say, no, that's not right. He always wanted Teron Lou, and it was Joe Sy who wanted Steve Nash. We know Kevin, uh, we know Kyrie Irving said they didn't need a coach at all. Well, this leaves us in a kind of strange place where it feels like it's almost an impossible get. So he's just trying to come up with a way to make it clear that he needs out. Yeah, and I think the the problem boils down to a man that you mentioned before. I think it's Kyrie Irving's fault. This is what happens when you and your friend get the same job or when you and your friend are in school <laughs> and yeah, let's be partners, let's do this. And then you find out your friend doesn't like to do the work and uh. you're going to do the entirety of the group project <laughs> and he's going to wild out on Instagram. So I, I think that that is the root of the, of the issue. And it's unfortunate that it keeps, you know, it, it, it's always been Kevin Durant. It keeps being Kevin Durant, the guy who can't be happy. He, he can't, commit to an organization he's always looking for the greener side of the field but ultimately he tried to go to work with his friend and his friend burned him yeah I actually agree with you but I'm trying to figure out you know whether he believes that Kyrie is tied to the team in a way that he needs to get out from under Kyrie because Kyrie opted into that 36 and a half million dollar player option or I imagine that if Kevin Durant went to Joe Sy and said, hey, it's me or Kyrie, you can't make that public, but you're going to need to trade him if I'm going to stick around, that they would make that happen. Uh, so I, I think it's a combination of not wanting to tie himself to Kyrie any longer, understanding that consistency and dedication to the game is going to be a question mark, regardless of, of COVID rules. Um, but also, you know, to, to the point that these sources are reporting, for whatever reason, he doesn't believe in Sean Marks and Steve Nash and doesn't see the Nets as a place that he has a good chance to win and therefore doesn't want to waste a season when he's getting older. Yeah, and maybe it's a – maybe you're right. Maybe it's a combination of both. Maybe he saw a, a lack of leadership, a lack of direction from an organization that let Kyrie run wild. Mm. Like there's a, You're going to get away with whatever people allow you to get away with, and they kind of let him get away with murder here. So I, I think that maybe it's a it's a situation where Kevin just wants a clean break and saying, you know what, I can't do three more years of this, two more years of this. I, I, I don't want to. I'm like you said, the clock is ticking on your NBA career. Go somewhere where you don't have to worry about yeah. you can just hoop. I mean, that's always it, what he, he says, it's, right? Unfortunately it's a bad time for it though, Marcel. And it's Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis Jacques at Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. 
what we heard before any of this even came out that he would want to trade was that this was a bad offseason for free agents and anyone looking to get paid. That that there just wasn't a team that had the right cap space and the right pieces. And that's really what we saw as a bunch of guys decide to stay put. We saw the Knicks probably overpay to get a guy that, you know, might be able to show up and do something there or might end up being very overpaid. And for the most part, we saw guys looking around for a landing spot that they couldn't find. And I I don't know that even if Kevin Durant is wise, and I think he is, in getting himself out from under Kyrie and picking a new landing spot, that he'll be able to find anywhere that can be contenders after giving up what they would need to to get KD under four years. I, I agree, and it, it does put the Nets in a tough spot because you're never going to find equal compensation in a trade for a superstar. Definitely not one a generational talent like Kevin Durant. So from the Nets standpoint, it's do we call his bluff and let him see? Do we risk – another year of distractions and our super team not wanting to play for us? Or do we accept lesser compensation just to rid ourselves of the problem? And I, I ought to just to make Kevin Durant happy. And if you're Brooklyn, what real incentive do you have to appeal to KD right now after, I mean, he kind of, he's kind of bailing on you here. Like I, if, if, if I'm the Nets, I'm going to tell him, hey man, look, I'm sorry that you're unhappy. You're going to need to make this work. We're paying you a lot of money. We we stuck by you through this Achilles. We got your friends for you. We we made sure to appeal to Kyrie. We trade for James Harden. Like you're gonna need to. This is this is feeling like give take instead of give give. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's the problem with this. First of all, to 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 the earlier point, Joe signed the Nets, and it says in this athletic reporting, they've made clear privately they will take every last asset from a team that trades for Durant, okay? That makes it incredibly difficult to find a trade partner. Then you have the fact that, to your point, KD is not alone, or I'm sorry, Kyrie was not alone in showing up to Brooklyn and trying to act like they're part of management. It was a joint effort. Both Kevin Durant and Kyrie attempted to behave in a way that went beyond the scope of their superstar playing powers. And if that works, great. But guess what? If it doesn't, People remember that, and we know that because when LeBron James tries to force teams to sign the guys that he wants or make roster decisions, when it doesn't work out, the fingers are pointing at him and saying, hey, man, this is why it's difficult to do what you do as a player and also simultaneously try to be in the front office. And with Kyrie and KD, they showed up, and it's mostly Kyrie. I do think that KD, clearly we've been able to see him in in you know Golden State playing with the team and succeeding, um, but... You know, whatever it is, he still went with Kyrie on it when they said, we don't really need a coach. We're going to be back and we're going to be running this team. And, you know, it's almost like Durant wanted to be complicit in that until it's clear that it didn't work. And now he wants to judge team ownership for not being strong enough and pushing back. Yeah, he's looking for somebody to blame and doesn't want to publicly feud with his friend. But in all reality, yeah, you put your trust in the wrong guy. Once again, you picked mm-hmm. the wrong lab partner here. And your lab partner wanted to talk to the cute girl across the way and he wanted to tweet tweet and scroll through TikTok all while you're studying and you're writing the actual paper and you're giving the presentation. So, yeah, you you want to jump ship. I mean, anybody, any rational person would want to jump ship, but there has to be a point. And I don't know what the proper platform would be for him to say it, but there has to be a point where maybe tap yourself on the chest and be like, you know what? I, I made a mistake here. I'm not blameless. 
but mm-hmm. this situation cannot continue. It's also worth noting that Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis-Jacques, filling in for Fitz on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. It's worth noting that we have said from the beginning, plenty of folks asking, what exactly is the current relationship between Durant and Kyrie? And will he ever publicly speak out about losing faith in his running mate or being frustrated with the last few years? And it became very clear that Harden wanted out because he refused to be tied to Kyrie and and his quote-unquote leadership. We haven't heard that publicly from Durant, and I don't know if that's not going to happen now while they're technically still on the same team. But if he does find a trade partner and finds his way out, or if he does force the Nets' hand and the Nets get rid of Kyrie, will we finally hear a little more honesty from him about how things have sort of fallen apart for a team that Kyrie sort of handpicked and, and created this way. Yeah. We'll keep you updated on anything we hear on Durant and his demands and what the Nets ownership is doing in response. ESPN Raiders presented by Progressive Insurance. If you're a renter, make sure you're protected. Renters insurance includes options that cover stolen property, personal injury, and living expenses if your place is damaged. Quote renters insurance at progressive.com. Coming up, WNBA legend got her flowers last night. We're going to give her some more. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis-Jacques, filling in for Fitz. We're going to get into a little bit of WNBA quickies after a busy weekend and some pretty big news. Let's get into it. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. We'll start with Sabrina Ionescu, who was actually on my panel at the ESPNW Summit this spring, Marcel. And one of the things I remember her saying very pointedly was how hard it was for her to come out of uh, Oregon, where she was making crazy headlines, triple doubles left and right, setting school records, setting NCAA records, and then to get to the W where she got hurt in her first season and came back and just wasn't quite right. And fans and critics said maybe she was just a good college player never going to have it at the pro level. And she had to mentally steal herself to get healthy enough to be at 100% and see what she could could do. And uh, we are seeing it now. Uh, First player ever to have 500 points, 200 rebounds, and 200 assists in a season. Uh, And there's a handful of games left in the regular season. Uh, Her pass to Crystal Dangerfield, who converted on a three-pointer against the Mercury, gave her that record and... uh, She's only a couple years in, and uh, that's incredibly impressive for a player that was sidelined and and is now making her way back. Yeah, you really do love to see it because there's that that sense of, I guess, nervousness whenever a player is so transcendent at the college level that it it builds up a hype that it's like, oh, can she possibly live up to this? And Mm -hmm. then when she gets hurt that her her rookie year, then you're even more terrified because it's like, oh, like. Now it might not even be her fault if she can't live up to expectations. So it's wonderful to see her play at this level. She has that ability. I mean, like a player we're about to talk about here in a minute, she has transcendent ability for people who don't follow the WNBA to still know who Sabrina Ionescu is. Crazy swag. Uh, and that kind of confidence and her relationship with Kobe and how she came up uh, learning about that Mamba mentality. Uh, that was one of the things she talked about at the summit. She just doesn't want to be friends with anyone. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, that'll work as long as you're playing well and winning. But it's, when you're when you're struggling, it's going to be tough to have that kind of swag. But uh, she's on one right now. Kelsey Plum, another one like that, who yep. came out of University of Washington, was absolutely insane collegiately and struggled when she first got into the league. She just spoke to a reporter and told uh, uh, her story 
story a couple weeks ago about falling into a depression because she was struggling and actually feeling grateful when she had a season-ending injury to just get a break and be able to reset. And now she's playing excellent basketball. So, uh, yeah, we sometimes don't talk about that mental side of things for players coming into the league and, and expecting more than they can do right away. But both of them are playing great right now. All right, next story. Quickies. Speaking of great, one of the greats, Sue Bird, celebrated in her last regular season home game in Seattle, and Vegas came in and ruined it. Beat Seattle 89-81, 18,000-plus fans in Climate Pet Pledge. Do a really beautiful thing at the beginning of the game where she came out of the uh, locker room into, into a tunnel full of friends and family video messages she spoke to the crowd afterwards and she said i'm not gonna lie it kind of sucks to lose my last game here but it's okay i lost my first game here too and thankfully the storm will be in the playoffs she'll have a chance to remedy that uh with a, a home game maybe in the playoffs uh but here's a little bit of what she said to the crowd after the game i just want to say from the bottom of my heart how thankful i am not only for today and all of you showing up and supporting us, but for 21 years. I remember a couple years in, some of my teammates wanted to go to the Wild Rose. I went with them. I saw a season ticket holder there. She came over to me, put her arm around me. She was like, hey, I don't know if this is the place you want to be. You know, on the outside, I said, oh, okay, thanks. You know, good looking out. On the inside, I was like, oh, I know where I am. I can't even tell you how amazing this whole season has been. This moment has been. We're not done. We're definitely not done. Yeah, uh, I used context clues, having never been to the Wild Rose, that is a, a lesbian bar. And it's interesting, Marcel, like so many players worry about their popularity and how they'll be received. And Sue Bird, after coming out and going public with her relationship with Megan Rapino, sure helps to have a superstar power couple uh, athlete that you're dating, but she only got bigger and more beloved by most people. Now, if you check the mentions on some of those farewell posts yesterday, there are still the lurking people who are saying she's not a role model, etc. cetera. But um, I, I liked that I saw the authentic and true version of Sue become even better, even bigger, even more popular than, than before she was able to share her truth. I, I completely and, and totally agree. And what's incredible is just how the landscape around her has changed over yes. the course of her career. She's drafted in, I believe it was 02, 07 or 02. I'm getting my numbers mixed 02, up. yeah. But, but, I mean, that's 20 years. Think of how different what is and isn't acceptable, quote-unquote, to talk about in public has changed in this country. Think about how different athletes use their voices in this country over the course of her career. I'm just – it's wonderful to see not only her be this role model, but it, it's wonderful to, to, like you said, have that – power couple with her and Regan Mapino as such a, a shining example for, you know, girls who grew up, literally grew up watching Sue Bird play. There are kids who all they know is Sue Bird, yeah. professional basketball player. So, uh, yeah, yeah and no. there's been players that have been better than her. She's had teammates that have been better than her throughout, but her consistency of winning through the entirety of her career is incredible. Four WNBA championships as of now four FIBA world championships five olympic gold medals five 
all WNBA first team. She has five different career records in the WNBA. Seasons played, games played, assists, minutes played, all-star appearances. She has the most wins in WNBA history. She's been in 12 different all-star games. She was already named one of the greatest players in league history despite still being active. She was on the 25 greatest, the 20th, and the 15th. And she still stays in the league even after these incredible, incredible um moments that she's a part of and uh man she's just one of my favorite all-time players as a person and as a player to watch and I'm gonna go see her last regular season game in Chicago tomorrow gonna be very torn I'm gonna be like one of those parents that has the jersey split down the middle one side (laughs) for each kid I'm gonna be cheering out my sky but I'm gonna have a lot to say uh to Sue as she comes back for one last time all right next story quickies Neka Ogumake sharing last night, uh, late last night, that the flight trying to take the Sparks from Washington to Connecticut after a game with the Mystics uh, was canceled several times. And here's what she had to say about the situation it put her and some of her teammates in. Yeah, so we are roaming the airport. It's the first time in my 11 seasons that I've ever had to sleep in the airport, but based on travel, it's not expected that this has happened. It's basically, it was only a matter of time. So half of us are sleeping in the airport, half of us are at a hotel. There weren't enough rooms. After our flight got delayed, delayed, canceled. Delayed, delayed, and then canceled at 1 a.m. And then rebooked for first thing in the morning. So it is now 1.44 and we're here till 9 a.m. I doubled up my clothes, y'all, getting cozy. Yes. Yeah, not fun. But I'm, I'm, I don't know if I should. I mean, we could blame the WNBA for the rule that because they didn't collectively bargain a, a private plane flight, nobody can use it. But I don't know if there's half the team in a hotel. It sounds more like the hotel didn't have room than that the team didn't provide. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big redditor, and one of my favorite pages is Am I the A? You know, yes. the rest. Mm-hmm. This is one of those where I can't call anybody the you know what I need more information to <laughs> need determine. more information. I need more. Like, okay, what, is it the only hotel in the area? Yeah, and if half the teams there couldn't you sleep on the couch or the floor instead of the airport? Need more information is correct. Those are your WNBA quickies coming up. Charles McDonald going to join us to help us break down some key NFL storylines and concerns about one quarterback. It's next. Spain and Fitz the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on a Monday. Sarah Spain hanging out with you. Marcel-Louis Jacques filling in for Fitz tonight. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's talk some NFL news. Let's talk to the exempt list podcast host and also underdog fantasy, Charles McDonald. You can follow him at 4Verts. Charles, let's start with Matthew Stafford. It's so hard to tell when there's a player with an injury in camp that you're smartly keeping him out. Or is this a serious issue to keep an eye on? And when I hear someone say it's more of a baseball injury or I've never seen it before, that gets me real worried thinking about people like Andrew Locker when Dak and the Cowboys had to consult the Rangers. What's your take on Matthew Stafford? Um, I mean, it sounds concerning, right? Uh, I mean, I feel like any time you're, you're holding someone out of practice for this amount of time or like managing their reps, especially for someone who uh, is not that old, and should be able to, you know, at this point in his career, still be able to kind of hang with some of those longer, you know, rep sessions during training camp. Uh, I think he's definitely a little bit concerned. Uh, 
and it, and especially because he was just basically the key for the whole season. I mean, they've gotten close. They even got to a Super Bowl before Jared Goff, but you know, I think you kind of needed that that last little zip and physicality that Matthew Stafford brings throwing the ball uh, to kind of get across the finish line there. So, yeah, I would say it's a it's a pretty big deal. I think anytime like you're holding someone out of practice and watching over them like this and comparing injuries to other sports, yeah, it's probably pretty concerning. And uh, I just want to know, like, I, I guess we should start wondering, like, if we can be ready for week one at this point because, you know, I don't think they're going to make him practice all that much. And I, and I guess we got to see how much he gets better throughout the next couple of weeks. But uh, if you're going to be held up this much, maybe it's time to start asking, like, what does the regular season look like for Matthew Stafford? Chuck, we didn't really know what to expect from this Patriots offense heading into training camp, but we're starting to see reports now that they are down atrocious, specifically with that offensive line that hasn't been able to run block. It sounds bad for a team that's going to want to run the ball this year. So mm-hmm. what are you expecting out of New England this season? Nothing. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay, I, look, I, I, I know Joe Judge. Like, I, I used to cover the Giants. Uh, like when they when they announced Matt Patricia and uh, Joe Judge were like going to be working as like the offensive play caller and quarterback coach, I I don't really know how you were supposed to expect much uh, from this offense. I mean, I, I think as crazy as Josh McDaniels, you know, can be at times, especially you know when you're jumping from uh, Indianapolis back to New England and then just kind of taking the, the the Vegas job and some of the other stuff that he's done, like taking Tebow in the first round, like he's still pretty good offensive play call, uh, all things considered. And I think even last year uh, they did a pretty good job kind of adjusting their game down the stretch uh, as Mac had some struggles and became a little bit more run-heavy team uh, as they entered the playoffs. So I, you know, I, I think that that's kind of a big loss, and not only is it a big loss, <laughs> you're, you're replacing it with something that I, I find like even hard to like describe like what – what it means to like pick Joe Judge and, and Matt Patricia because there's no real like <laughs> rhyme or reason to, as to why like this should be successful because usually you know you go one plus one equals two but it seems like Bill's trying to tell us no one plus one actually equals one point seven five or one point five <laughs> and I'm sitting here scratching my head like I don't know why do you think that Matt Patricia should be calling your plays why do you think that Joe Judge should be coaching your quarterback is he just like doing his buddies a solid and giving them some cool stuff on the resume. So they can get out of there, like get out of there. Does he secretly hate them? Uh, I don't know. Maybe we should start asking Bill Belichick some questions. But uh, I think when you pair like some of the 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 personnel transitions they're going with on offense uh, with a second year quarterback in this, like I I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots take a step back. I just really like senior football advisor uh, as the title for Matt Patricia. I appreciate. Senior football advisor. Yeah, I feel like yeah. that's just so Bill can rip something away from him real quick. Yeah, there you go. Right, like, right. <laughs> I just think it's like he didn't want to go backwards after being a head coach. So he's like, let me invent some title that just doesn't sound like I went back to being a coordinator. Uh, we're talking to Charles exactly. McDonald. Uh, Chuck, apparently. Can I call you Chuck, Charles? Yeah, you can call me Chuck. All right, cool, cool. I wasn't sure if that was just a Marcel thing. Uh, Charles McDonald, Chuck McDonald, at Four Verts is where you can follow him. What do you make of the Kareem Hunt situation in Cleveland? Can you repair this? We've seen some teams recently even, getting a beef with one of their players and, and be able to figure that out and, and, and eventually keep them around. Do you think that's the case here? Um, I don't know if they're going to keep them like long-term, but I would expect them to be around uh, for the season. Because I, I think like when you're talking about building a, a 
just a roster in the modern day NFL. You know, it's not like you really want to be um, paying two running backs top dollars, especially where you're going to have uh, Deshaun Watson making, you know, all the boatload of cash that he's going to be making over the next few years, just like when you're talking about how to structure it against the cap. But I think just for, for this season, Kareem Hunt might be like too valuable of a player for the Browns uh, to let go. Because if you're going to, if, if we're looking at this from like, you're going, you're going to be missing Watson and having Jacoby Brissett start for at least six games. I, no offense to Jacoby Brissett, he seems like an interesting guy, but I've seen him play football before. Like, I, I think that we, you know, if you're the Browns, you probably won't be looking at this. Hey, we need to get the ball into Nick Chubb's hands, Kareem Hunt's hands, like 30, 40 times a game. And I think we've seen over the past couple of years for them, that, that can be a successful strategy. I mean, I think Nick Chubb, uh, he's the most talented runner in football, just like once he gets the ball in his hands, the vision, strength, speed, I think he's got the whole package. And then uh, Kareem Hunt probably is not too far behind him just in terms of the guy that, you know, we've seen him be a bell cow back before, and the results have been pretty good. So, you know, I get why he why Kareem wants to get traded because uh, maybe he's, he thinks that getting to the playoffs with Cleveland a couple of years ago might have been the peak of what uh, they can do, and he, he wants his own chance to shine. But, you know, if you're the Browns and you kind of – not even kind of, like you've gone all in on this season and really every season for the next few seasons, uh, might just want to keep the best roster you possibly can. And, you know, unfortunately for Kareem Hunt, that leaves him as uh, the Browns' RB2. But I, I, I am interested at the idea of, like, what you could get for him in a trade because I think running backs are still valuable in the NFL, especially someone as good as Kareem Hunt. So – you know, if you're going to dangle them out there for trade offers, I think they might actually get something nice back. But, you know, like I said, for the immediate uh, 2022 Browns, he's a pretty valuable piece for the puzzle. I don't think it's so crazy trading for Kareem Hunt. Like you said, running backs still have value, but it's still – it's hard enough to get your bag as a bona fide number one running back. It's almost right. – I don't know if there's much precedent for a 1B or a RB2 getting his. So he's in that tough position. Yeah. But uh, kind I of say, of... I, I was about to say, I do. I think like, if there was anyone that might be able to pull that off, like getting paid as the RB two, he might be good enough, just because we've seen him do it before, you know. Yeah, and like I said, there's a lot of tread on those tires still. He can still contribute, but uh, kind of moving further yeah. north up to Chicago. At, at what point? At what point can we legitimately evaluate Justin Fields as a quarterback? Because it's not like the Bears are doing a whole lot to help him on that side of the ball. And, I mean, look, I'm an Arizona State guy, but if you're trading for Nikhil Harry to boost your offense, you're down bad. Yeah. Uh, you got two down bads. You got an atrociously down bad and a regularly down bad today. Nice. Bring the, uh, the Call of <laughs> Duty chat up to, to ESPN Radio. Let's go. Uh, going places. Look, the, <laughs> Justin Fields, I feel like, I feel like this is just going to be a year where – like the split between qualitative and quantitative analysis is probably going to be huge with him uh, because I, I, I think he's really talented. First of all, like I, I think that he has like all the skills to be a longtime franchise quarterback in the NFL. And I think that even on, on games where the stat line might look pretty bad, I, I think that we should still be able to see that from him this year. Uh, but Man, like I, I would be pretty surprised if the Bears' offense was like putting up numbers. Like if they are, we need to like start getting his 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 cannon bus ready, uh, get him ready for the Hall of Fame because I, I think that this offense it's one of the 
the least talented offense that I can think of uh, in a, in quite some time. I mean, lo- losing to Kill Harry and like having that be a, a serious blow is, like you said, it's a problem. Uh, I, but I do think like when you just watch Justin Fields and you watch the way he goes through his reads, accuracy with the ball, the decisions that he makes, when he chooses to run, what kind of hits he's taking, I think that you can still kind of evaluate his progress as the season goes along. But, you know, it's, a, it's going to be an uphill battle. This is a new coaching staff, uh, a new offense. Uh, the receiving court is, is not great, but uh, I do think that he's talented enough where he's going to have moments like, you know, the game against the Steelers last year where you just swing the ball down the field and tie windows uh, and getting it done. And then I, I think even the games, uh, like the last Monday night game they had against Minnesota, he had some drives there where you you see like the the vision that the Bears have for him, but they couldn't just convert. I think you know when they got into the red zone. So, yeah, with Justin Fields, it's going to be like you, you're really going to have to watch the film with with Fields here because I don't think that the quantitative numbers would suggest that this is something worth investing in long term. But I think when you watch him play, there's a lot that he brings that you get too excited if you're a Bears fan. I appreciate that because I feel the same way, Charles. I mean, I know I've been uh, basically Stockholm Syndrome by the Bears to think that any quarterback worth anything is going to be the greatest ever. But I liked what I saw when he was able to hit his first reads and then he didn't have time where the play calling sucked. And I like the accuracy and the athleticism and I'm really bummed they're giving him so little to work with, but I'm hopeful that we can at least uh, see a little bit more out of him this season and keep keep it moving. Uh, Thanks so much for the insight. Appreciate the time. All right, thanks, guys. The Exempt List Pod Underdog Fantasy. You can follow him at 4Verts. It's Charles McDonald, a.k.a. Chuck. Coming up, boo-boos and beefs aplenty in the NFL. We'll get to both next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. A lot of people. Very sad today. Olivia Newton-John passing at the age of 73. I was a Grease fan like anybody. Uh, wasn't super familiar with a lot of her work, but obviously tons of her music is the stuff that we all know quite well and was sort of omnipresent as, as I was growing up, uh, as you know, things your parents really were into. I honestly love you and physical and all that stuff. Um, but obviously Greece, one of the greats and she seems extremely beloved. One of those people, Marcel, that you're hard pressed to find people that uh, would say bad things about her. All of her coworkers, all of her fans, uh, seem pretty moved by her passing today. Yeah, I can appreciate that, and I I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I was a huge Olivia Newton-John fan. I she's probably one of those artists where if I hear the song, I can be like, oh, I, that's yeah, where yeah. I know that song. I, yeah. I've been I know I've never seen Grease actually. What? So, yeah. Oh I've, come on. I've never seen Grease. But it's can... <laughs> a little cringy. Uh, it, it needs an update in a couple parts. And I think when schools perform it now, they change some of the words to things uh, because it's a little bit cringy. But uh, it's great. Oh, you got to you got to see it. You got to see it in honor Maybe. of Olivia, at least in honor of Olivia. But, yeah, yeah, I can I can respect the fact that, you know, when when your work touches a lot of people and when, uh, you know, thousands, millions of people around the world appreciate what you gave to them. That, yeah, you know, like I, I can respect that. I can respect yeah, her. Made a lot there. of people happy for sure. Made a lot uh, of people Spain happy. and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis Jacques, in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. So we continue to talk NFL. We got some boo boos and we got some beefs. We'll run through the boo boos quickly. Jameis Winston rolled his ankle today. He's undergoing further evaluation. Uh, you know, hopefully for the team, not a big deal. He's been in and out, of course, because of injury. Um, and. 
Marcel, whenever you hear ankle, you're like, okay, well, is it high ankle? Is it foot? Is it? And now it sounds like it might be more of a foot issue. Um, whenever you've got kinetic chain uh, issues that potentially are resulting from things like the ACL that he tore last season, uh, you got to keep an eye on it. You said it way more intelligently than I was going to. But, yeah, I was going to say this is – got to wonder if this is connected to that torn ACL from a year ago. A training camp injury is not something that you want to see out of your starting quarterback ever, but especially not after he's coming off a season-ending mm-hmm. injury. It's a you know, new coaching staff. He's got new weapons. You know, I don't think he ever really got time to get used to throwing to Michael Thomas and definitely not with Chris Olave since he was just drafted this year. So, you know, hopefully – he gets over it. Hopefully it's not a long-term issue because Jameis Winston, when he was healthy, was one of the best, I guess, rebound stories in the NFL last year. He was a completely different quarterback. It's amazing what one year of humility can do for you and a new system and one that really appreciates and, and highlights your talents. More boo-boos. We talked about Matthew Stafford. He downplayed his elbow issue, said he wasn't having any trouble with any throws so uh, we will continue to keep an eye on that we don't like the language around it but Matthew Stafford seems to be telling us it's not such a big deal meanwhile Jets right tackle Mackay Becton has to have an MRI on his surgically repaired right knee same situation it doesn't appear serious right now but you never want to see a guy who's coming off an injury coming off a surgery already having issues Uh, and so we'll keep an eye on Mackay Becton more boo-boos we also we talked about it uh, Nikhil Harry, his ankle injury believed to be pretty serious. And if you're a Bears team that needs Nikhil Harry to be healthy, you've set yourself up uh, for a not great season, which we just discussed at length. So handful of boo-boos that players are dealing with at this part in camp. You never want to see it. Uh, also some beefs. And, uh, I mean, we could start with my beef with the Bears for making it so that Nikhil Harry is an important <laughs> part of the team. Uh, Courtney Cronin, uh, one of our faves around here, was on Get Up today talking about how even when he wasn't hurt, things didn't look good. It's Darnell Mooney, and then who? Like, I get, I would imagine, you know, Equinemius St. Brown gets a chance now oh. with a lot of guys out, Dante Pettis. Tajay Sharp, a lot of the players that the Bears have brought in to try to fill out this receiving core are guys who weren't able to really stick anywhere else, maybe didn't have the opportunity to do it for other teams. So that's why they brought Nikhil Harry here, giving him a fresh start. But what Jeremy Fowler had reported yesterday, that it looks like it's a pretty severe ankle injury. And, you know, while we're waiting to find out how severe that is, how much time that's going to keep him out, you look at the depth chart right now for the Bears and it doesn't look very good to wide receiver. I like that that music came in at the end. It's going to be brutal. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say because I can't imagine that the team didn't look at this roster all offseason long and say we are not doing favors to Justin Fields, and there's no way to explain it. Yeah, we were just talking about this at the break, too. When it comes to young quarterbacks, isolate the variable as soon as possible so that you know you don't give any excuses or any reasons to why he might fail other than the fact that he doesn't have the talent to succeed at right. the at the NFL level. But, like, if you let him, like you said, get into bad habits, ruin his confidence, defenses get too much film on him, and, and all of a sudden his career is derailed, it's a lot harder for him to be a reclamation project than it is just to be the guy yeah, that you drafted. Give him, give him a shot. Give him a shot in the early times so that he doesn't pick up those bad habits and start seeing ghosts, get happy feet, get injured, all that stuff. 
Uh, so, yeah, my beef with the Bears continues in that respect. I'll be at Bears practice out at Soldier Field tomorrow for Fan Fest, and I'll get a chance to uh, see up close and personal just how bad it looks. <laughs> uh, speaking of bad, uh, what do we think about the Browns situation if indeed the Deshaun Watson suspension goes long? Mike Tannenbaum was on Dari and Mel talking about why Jimmy G and the Browns make sense. My point is, while I like Brissett, they're literally one hit away from either Josh Rosen or Josh Dobbs playing on a team that has a chance to be really good. And if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo and I have one year to sort of like showcase what I can do, there's no better place than to play with Amari Cooper, David Njoku, and two good, really good running backs and a good offensive line. Okay, so you agree with that? You got to see uh, Brissett up close. Do you like him but wish Jimmy G was there? <laughs> I agree with Mike in that, yeah, they're one hit away from – Josh Rosen or Josh Dobbs having to play quarterback, I complete. And I agree that they need Jimmy Garoppolo because I completely disagree in liking Jacoby Brissett. I, I don't think he's a starting caliber quarterback. I, I think he's maybe an okay number two. But, I mean, reading off a couple, a couple numbers from last year, 40th in yards per attempt, 29th in completion percentage over expectation, 25th in air yards per attempt. He's not a player that wants to push the ball downfield, and he's not accurate enough to hit tight windows. I, I don't know what you're supposed to do if you're Cleveland and defenses don't expect you or respect your passing game. I hope that Nick Chubb can last for however long this Deshaun Watson suspension is the entire year. I hope that they don't give up Kareem Hunt for pennies because Jacoby Brissett is not going to lead you to wins. You know, interestingly enough, I say he didn't push the ball downfield. 20% of his throws last year, only 20% of his throws last year were at or below the line of scrimmage. I can tell you one that was the only play in NFL history that resulted in a safety without a fumble or a handoff. Oh. He threw a screen in the end zone. Oh. I don't want that man starting for me. Mm. Well, uh, I guess Browns fan, he just gave you I guess he, he just gave you a reason to have a beef with him maybe. <laughs> Marcel Louis <laughs> Jacques giving it giving the good the real tea. We got more beefs coming later in the show, but coming up we'll talk some baseball. Are the Mets the scariest team? Spain and Fitz the podcast. We're looking at the races in MLB based a lot on the playoffs and who might end up in a very dangerous-seeming wildcard matchup with the Padres post-trade deadline. Well, are they as dangerous as we thought with those new additions? Should we read into the sweep at the hands of the Dodgers or not? All this and more baseball talk coming up here at Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis-Jacques filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And joining us now, MLB writer June Lee. You can follow him at June Lee. Let's start there. The Padres made these moves at the trade deadline that had us all thinking that they were really putting the pressure on the Dodgers, even with that big lead, uh, just to be a team that you don't want to meet in the postseason. Do you change your mind on any of that after seeing the sweep by the Dodgers? I mean, it's three games out of 162, so it's hard to put too much value on it. But I do think it shows a little bit of the holes of the Padres roster and how it's currently constructed, just given the fact that they are really offensive heavy. Um, and that pitching rotation has some weaknesses in it, um, just given the fact that you know, Musgrove and, and Darvish have, have had really good years. Um, but, you know, Shamanaya hasn't been the addition that they hoped that he would be. Mackenzie Gore, obviously, is not on the Padres anymore. Blake Snell hasn't been the style of a pitcher that he has been in the past. You know, Mike Clevenger's been halfway decent, 
um, but he, but he, he's missed a bunch of games this year. And so th- th- that is kind of – it did highlight kind of the weakness of this Padres roster. Um, but it, just given the offensive talent, it's really hard to write off the Padres as a whole just after one series. Now, what do you make uh, uh, of Jacob DeGrom's performance? Is his return to the Mets rotation enough to send them all the way, to send them to the World Series? Well, I, I think the Mets had enough in the first place to be in a position to make it to the World Series once they got to the postseason. The question or not is, you know, I think DeGrom kind of puts them in that, you know, you have to consider them a World Series contender kind of category. Uh, but the injuries is the big concern there. And it's not just with Jacob DeGrom for that entire rotation. Um, you know, Max Scherzer has obviously gone down with injuries at points this year. This is an older rotation as well. You know, they're relying on guys like Chris Bassett uh, and Tyler McGill to, to be really good in the postseason. And so, you know, I, I think the Mets roster is already one of the most talented in baseball. I think has been one of the most consistent uh, throughout the course of the entire season. Um, but, you know, DeGrom is, is, is the guy that kind of takes his team to another level. Um, I think they still have a shot of making it to the World Series, even without him, if he doesn't stay healthy for the rest of the year, which, you know, is always a question with him. Um, but with Jacob DeGrom, I mean, it's, he's, they're going to be a, a, a force to be reckoned with in the postseason, you know, with a big asterisk about whether or not he's actually healthy come October. June Lee is with us here on Spain and Fit. Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis Jacques with you on this Monday night. Before we move on from the Mets, I want to ask, do you feel like the Mets fans are still waiting for the other shoe to drop? Because in recent years, there's been late season swoons or absurd, ridiculous things like, you know, their minor league ballpark catching fire from fireworks and their players trying to fight journalists. Like, it's always something with the Mets. This season has felt a little too normal outside of injury. (laughs) Uh, are we? Are, uh, does the fan base seem confident or, or or crossing all their fingers and toes? I mean, confident and the Mets fan base like those <laughs> two words don't really go together <laughs> in any context. I mean, all the Mets fans that I talked to about how they feel about the season have kind of been like, oh, "I mean, it's great, but are we actually going to be there in October?" Like, it's hard for me to expect this team to be there just given like the bad juju that they've had over the course of the last couple of years, especially but also throughout the course of Mets history as well. Um, I, I do think that there is a level of uh, just impending doom. And so I think there was almost a level of just enjoying the moment, staying present that Mets fans have had throughout the course of this season, where they're just Very trying sad. to enjoy the fact that they are 70 and 39 going into tonight against, against the Reds um, and not trying to think too hard about October. And I think that's the easiest way to kind of feel like if there is success, it's all cherry on top. Um, I think the Mets fans have been, you know, kind of been in too many bad, toxic relationships at this point uh, with with the team um, to expect more than, uh, you know, more than just kind of what they've gotten in the past. (laughs) Uh, June, as as we face this final stretch of the MLB season, is there a team that maybe isn't being discussed in that World Series contender ranks that you think, okay, if they get hot, look out? Oh, man. I mean – the Toronto Blue Jays have been disappointing this year, to say the least, especially because they came into the year as one of those teams that people was, you know, kind of trendly picking uh, as, as a World Series contender. Um, the fact that Bo Bichette, I think, has had a, a, a down year has been a huge factor in them kind of not exceeding their potential uh, or, or getting to their potential in the first place. Jose Barrios has really struggled. You know, I think, I think you've got to look at them, and then you also got to look at the Tampa Bay Rays, like year after year. The Tampa Bay Rays are always there in October. Um, they've been dealing with a lot of injuries this season. Um, at one point, they had 15 guys on the injured list. And Wander Franco, you know, their star, superstar, 
uh, you know, a former top prospect who's kind of been the, the anchor for that lineup over the course of the, the year that he's been up with the team. You know, he's been injured a lot throughout the course of this season. Um, the Rays are always going to be a force to be reckoned with, and so I think you've got to look at those two teams in the AL East right now. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis-Jacques, filling in for Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We're talking to June Lee, ESPN MLB writer. June, you weren't born when Pete Rose was playing, <clears throat> when Pete Rose was accused of cheating, when Pete Rose had sexual misconduct allegations. And he believes, I guess, that if you weren't born and if it was a long time ago, we shouldn't talk about it, babe. What did you make or what are you hearing from other baseball folks who maybe were alive for some of this about what went down this weekend with Pete Rose? I mean, I think it's at a point where the game and the culture of baseball, which is already inherently super conservative, has outgrown Pete Rose. And, you know, he's already shown, I think, through his you know, lack of remorse and how he's kind of gone about his business since everything that happened with the cheating scale, how long it took for him to confess to anything even happening. And then you, I think this is just kind of the, the cherry on top of the misogyny, sexism, you know, uh, gambling sandwich here, where it's like this, this as, as great a baseball player as he was, you know, this is not someone who baseball should be, you know, trying to put on a pedestal in any way, shape, or form. And there's been a lot of talk around the game about, like, you know, if Pete Rose does make it to the Hall of Fame, like, there's a lot of people who think that that would happen after he dies, almost as, like, a, a you know, a metaphorical middle finger to him. Um, because, you know, it's undeniable that he's one of the greatest hitters of all time. And, you know, we already know that there's a lot of despicable people and not just baseball Hall of Fame, but Hall of Fame across all sports. Uh, you know, I think in regards to whether or not Pete Rose should be put on a pedestal and line night today, I think, you know, he's, he kind of put the nail on the coffin and, and kind of, you know, locking in how we as a society should be um, treating Pete Rose um, just as a as a person who was once a living legend on the baseball field and uh, is, is now someone who uh, I think baseball should be trying to do everything to stay away from. June, we can't talk about one New York team without discussing the other. What's the level of concern for the Bronx Bombers with this five-game losing streak? Uh, I mean, there's always a level of hitting the panic button with, with the Yankees. Um, I do think that there are a couple of cracks in the foundation here. I mean, they were on a pace to be one of the best teams in baseball, just given the way that they started out at the beginning of the season. Um, I think they exceeded many people's expectations, just given the way that guys like Nestor Cortez and Jordan Montgomery and the fact that the Michael King and Clay Holmes had kind of emerged as two of the best relievers in all of baseball um, in the early part of the season. Um, I think that there was a level of preparation among you know, people around the team that this team would come back down to earth at some point. Uh, but yeah, I think it, it's easy to panic as a Yankees fan, but this is, again, one of the most talented rosters in all of baseball. I think they have a level of depth, and they've also been really you know, fortunate with uh, a clean slate of health for the most part throughout the course of this year. King has gone down for the season. Um, Luis Severino is supposedly working his way back from, from injury as well. Um, should be back in sometime in September. Um, but this is a team that has the depth to withstand the injuries that they've had right now. Are they going to win 115 games? No. But are they going to be a team that we're going to have to be talking about in regards to the World Series kind of favorites in, in that conversation uh, come the end of September? Absolutely. June Lee is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis, Jacques with you. Hey, real quick, before we let you go, post-trade deadline power rankings, give me the number of teams that you will go to that have a shot to win it all. 
Oh, man, uh, that's a good question. Um, let's see. I, I would probably say that the Yankees are there. Uh, I would say that the Houston Astros are there. I would say that um, the, the Mets and the, the Braves and the Dodgers are there and the Padres are there. The, and I would say that's kind of my, my core group. All right, good stuff, June. Hey, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad we don't have Pete Rose rules around here. June Lee wouldn't be able to talk about almost anything. He was basically born yesterday. He is a child prodigy who is covering baseball for us, and I'm glad we don't have those rules because he's fantastic. It's Bain and Fitz coming up. We'll talk about the latest with the Miami Dolphins. Also, a tweet from Joe Sy has escalated the Nets situation. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. This is a great song. The Nets are truly on a roller coaster right now. And if you're a fan of Kevin Durant and the Nets, you feel like you're going to puke. Because today we find out that Durant basically says he doesn't feel comfortable with the direction in which the team is moving. And it's either him or Steve Nash and Sean Marks. That per The Athletic. Well, sure sounds like owner Joe Sy is sending a message on which side he's picking. He tweeted out 22 minutes ago, Our front office and coaching staff have my support. We will make decisions in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis Jacques, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. That sure sounds like a man who is putting his foot down and telling Kevin Durant, I'm so sorry, you are not in charge of personnel, hiring, or employees at this team, and I will not let you bully me into being in charge of it. I'm starting to think the Brooklyn Nets only exist for our entertainment, and I don't mean on the basketball court. <laughs> I think like, this is the – they are the content kings yes. of the offseason for the NBA. <laughs> but good for Josiah. Stop like, bowing to your your stars is how you got in this situation to begin with because y'all let Kyrie Irving run buck wild for two years, and this is the situation that that has brought upon yourself. So it's got to – you got to cut the crap somewhere – Good for him for having his staffs back. Ultimately, those are the guys from if you're a front office executive, if you're an owner, if you're you know on that side of the court, those are the guys that you have to support. Because if yeah. you if it becomes known that you are going to side with players over your coaches, people aren't going to want to coach for you anymore. And then it doesn't matter who your players are. Well, and that's the problem though. Is the other side is true as well. If you're a superstar and you say. This means nothing. My career uh, in the league, my ability means nothing. The power structure should be tilted more towards me that a coach who's won nothing or a GM, then you might feel the same way. And that, that's why I'm torn on this. At He Said What Sports tweeted right after I posted that, Josiah, this is the first step of leadership this front office has taken in a long time. They need to create the right culture and becoming a credible organization, whether they move forward with Durant or not. On the one hand, I agree with that because getting bullied around by Kyrie did not make them look good and is probably part of the reason Durant doesn't trust them moving forward. On the other hand... Now you've basically looked a superstar, one of the greatest of all time, in the eyes and said, yeah, sorry, you're not worth that much. And that's tough to do as well. It is tough to do as well. But I love, I love the point that he made that you have to set a standard. You have, to, you have to set a divide as to what is acceptable and what is not and whose job is what. It is Kevin Durant's job to play basketball, to go hoop. At the end of the day, like that's what he wants. So what he always says on Twitter, on social media – he just wants to hoop at the end of the day. 
Don't worry about personnel decisions. Don't worry about roster moves. Trust us to do our job, and we're going to trust you to do yours. No mm-hmm. longer are we going to be run by a guy who doesn't wear deodorant. We are going to <laughs> do. We're going to run this team as it's supposed to be run. Yeah, if Mercury is in retrograde, we will still play games. Uh, <laughs> if your third eye is telling you tonight is not the night, we will still expect you to suit up. Like no sage uh, necessary. <laughs> oh, all the sage will be necessary for all of the facilities, the uniforms, the locker room, everything after this mess. Uh, we'll keep you updated on Joe Sai. I imagine Kevin Durant will have a response. He usually does on social media. We'll keep an eye out for that. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, a triple threat of protection with home, auto, and more. Visit Progressive.com. Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis-Jacques with you on this Monday night. Uh, We've got you here, so we should talk some Dolphins. Uh, There's a new story out on Andscape about Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, and the title is Dolphins owner Stephen Ross was praised for hiring black coaches, then he got sued for discrimination. Um, The undertitle and the tag is equally as important because it it reminds us that Stephen Ross has been called out before for spending millions on diversity programs, particularly one called Rise, while openly paying for and supporting Donald Trump, a president who made no bones about his feelings about black Americans. Um, and mo- regardless of whether you want to believe any language used to describe him, his actions were more than clear in terms of his discriminations against black people. So Ross has been trying to walk this line for a while do you think that flores's lawsuit or anything that came out in the most recent punishment for tampering has affected people's view of him down in miami like when you try to play the fence you don't you don't make anybody happy and, mm-hmm. and that's the confusing issue with stephen ross like you said the story was trying to to address is that who who are you are, are you a donald trump crony or do you support the black community are you a are, are you a champion for diversity and racial equality in America? We don't know. But what I do know is that this lawsuit doesn't make you look good. I'm not necessarily willing to say that the quick hook with, with Flores this season is a matter of racial discrimination. I think it's a – at least not with Stephen Ross personally. I think it's a grander issue in the NFL. It's a grander problem with the Rooney rule because you cannot – you cannot artificially generate forward thinking. You can't tell people, interview minority candidates, and then expect them to change in their heart. No, they're just going to check the box. They're just going to follow a rule and then end up doing whatever they want to do. But another thing I'll add, Stephen Ross's statement after the NFL's report came out last week, the first thing that he addressed in that statement was essentially denouncing Brian Flores's allegations. The lawsuit, it claimed, you know, it, it proved everything that we said from the jump is true, mm. that Flores's allegations everything. were malicious and false. Mm-hmm. And Dolphins fans, if you're listening to this, Stephen Ross doesn't think you're going to read. He does not expect you to read for yourself. He expects you to look at a, at a notes app, a fancy notes app on Twitter, and take that as the gospel. Because the investigation essentially said everything Brian Flores alleged was true. He did offer $100,000, even if it wasn't meant to be taken seriously. He didn't want to win games in 2019, which everybody in South Florida knew that the Dolphins were tanking. It, it just wasn't an official 
directive mm-hmm. from the top. Everybody knew what was happening. Well, and there were also what? things that they did confirm were correct that Flores said. So when he said they proved everything he said was wrong, you're right. He was like, y'all won't read and find out that I'm lying. Yeah, yeah that's and that's that's what he thinks of you. So, no, it, it, it's, it was baffling to see. And you know what else? He did have Tom Brady on a yacht before Tom Brady mm-hmm. was a free agent. So mm-hmm. I, I feel for Brian Flores because – you know, regardless of his relationship with the media or what his relationship with his quarterback is, he was wronged, and he he risked his reputation and his livelihood to bring those wrongs to light. And if you read, for the people who read and actually do the research, then he's somewhat vindicated, but he's not going to get the change that he was hoping to affect here because the NFL is more concerned about the tampering than it is about the racial discrimination and yeah. the tanking. Well, and they're aware of the massive repercussions of, a, of saying that they did find tanking and racism. Meanwhile, they can just use the tampering as an excuse to p- punish without facing those massive repercussions. We'll get into more of this later. We also have another development in Nets Talk, plus some weak links next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. All right, uh, Marcel keeps getting proven right at every commercial break as we get more content from the Nets content machine, but going to give you guys a radio tease. We'll talk about it next, after this, so you'll have to stick around for the latest in the Nets saga. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis-Jacques, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We break from Kevin Durant and company to talk to one of our favorites, Bill Barnwell, ESPN NFL writer and the host of the Bill Barnwell Show. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. And he has another piece out today as Bill Barnwell is the equivalent of the Nets when it comes to off-season content for .com. They are making him make every list that's ever existed. And if you've never seen it before, he's probably making that list too. Because this one we got is the weaknesses of the best NFL teams for 2022. What are the Achilles heels for 14 teams that could contend for the Super Bowl? Let's just start with the champs. I think I know the answer to this one. Uh, Give me the Achilles heel for the Rams. First off, I want to point out, Sarah, I work a lot cheaper than KD when it comes to providing <laughs> off-season content. So yeah. You did also make some requests ESPN. Uh, for ESPN execs to be fired. It's you or them. I heard that, though, for your last contract. <laughs> <laughs> That's another conversation for a different show. It might not be on the same channel That's here. Right. But That's right. But <laughs> I'm going to throw out running back as my concern because, yes, mm. the Rams did win the Super Bowl last year, but their running game was a disaster. In the postseason, Cam Akers almost lost them that game against the Buccaneers. They were not good running the football. They won in spite of their rushing attack. And yes, Cam Akers should be healthier, but the track record of guys with torn Achilles at running back, just not very good for them getting back to where they were previously. So it's an easy position relatively to fill. There's more talented players out there than jobs when it comes to running back. But it's going to be a tough spot for them, whether it's Daryl Henderson, whether they bring in someone else. I think they were Sonny Michelle last year. I just don't think that the Rams have the guy who's going to be their playoff workhorse on the roster right now. I, uh, hey there, Bill. I, I couldn't help but notice uh, you did not have the, the Miami Dolphins on here as a potential Super Bowl mm. contender. I think South Florida is going to have some words <laughs> with you about <laughs> that. But, uh, you couldn't uh, list all the heels <laughs> on the Dolphins. <laughs> moving to uh, talking about America's team here, though, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. You have kicker listed. How, how, how much of an Achilles heel could kicker possibly be for, for a team that presumably – 
does have a couple of holes and a couple of weaknesses. That's true, Marcel. But you know what? I mean, don't got to think back, and I don't want to bring this up, Sarah. This is not my fault. Marcel uh-huh. alluded to it. The Bears a few years ago is uh-huh. having a very good team, but don't have that kicker. It can turn out poorly for you in the oh, postseason. They didn't have a great kicker last year. I mean, Greg Gregsterline did struggle last season. Cowboys trying to go on the cheap relatively uh, with a couple different journeyman options. And again, this may be a situation where they're waiting for the end of training camp to sign a veteran off of someone else's practice squad or someone who gets cut during training camp. But I mean, not only are the resumes bad on paper or limited on paper, but the camp reports have been a disaster. It feels like every week or every day, you know, guys are going four for nine or five for 11 on kick attempts without the crowd, without the pressure. So uh, it feels like something where, yes, the offense is going to be good. You know, the defense can create takeaways, but special teams matter. And I do think that for the Cowboys, you know, if they can't score touchdowns, if they stick with the kickers they have, there's going to be serious concerns about them leaving points on the field early in the season. Bill Barnwell is with us, host of the Bill Barnwell Show, ESPN NFL writer. His article, Weaknesses of the Best NFL Teams in 2022, Looking for Achilles Heels for the Contenders. Uh, you've gone oppo twice now. I didn't expect a kicker for the Cowboys, and I didn't expect a literal Achilles heel for the Rams. I was expecting maybe Matthew Stafford's injury. So let's go to one I've actually seen and I was not disagreeing with, and that's the wide receivers. There's a couple teams where you listed wide receivers as the Achilles seal, the Browns, the Colts, the Packers. Which of those three is in the worst position in that regard, in your opinion? Well, I think the Browns have Amari Cooper, who, you know, not maybe the guy he was four or five years ago, but still a very good wide receiver. The Colts have Michael Pittman. The Packers have... Alan Lazard? I mean, you really have to kind of squint to try and find the right player that's going to fit in this offense and really have a big year. And and I think we're all sort of maybe, you know, kind of figuring, okay, well, one of those guys is going to step up. Maybe it's Robert Tunyon. Maybe it's, you know, A.J. Dillon or Aaron Jones playing more in the passing game and catching more passes than they did a year ago. But it it seems crazy that they traded Devontae Adams, which I, I wasn't necessarily opposed to, but then, didn't really replace him. I know that they like Romeo Dobbs. He's looked very good in training camp. I know they used a second-round pick on Christian Watson. You know, those rookies might get better as the year goes along, but there's just not that guy who, you know, our, our, my friend Nate Tyson always likes to say, when you need a bucket, who are you going to go to? And for the Packers, they don't have that guy right now who's going to get them a bucket on third down or get them a bucket in the red zone. And I think that's what I'm worrying about with the Packers, that there's just not that guy who, when the chips are down, they can – Aaron Rodgers can throw the ball up to and count on getting a first down. He's going to find guys. They're going to be okay on offense. But I think for a team that's really all in, given Aaron Rodgers' age and his contract situation, they don't feel all in at wide receiver. Bill, of all these positions that you just listed, which do you think is the hardest to actually overcome for a potential Super Bowl team? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I, I would say typically offensive line. You know, I, I think we saw the Chiefs kind of come close during their run a couple of years ago, but then we saw in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, playing a tough defense in the Bucks, they were hopeless with a bunch of backup offensive linemen. Um, I mean, you cover the Dolphins. Look at Tua Tango Viroloa the past couple of years. They're basically writing off his last two seasons because they couldn't protect Tua whatsoever. Had to basically run RPOs just to keep him afloat, keep him from getting hit constantly uh, behind that offensive line. I think you can overcome having one bad spot you can overcome having a guy who's mediocre maybe in one spot if you have solid guys around him but when it becomes two guys three guys four guys that's the big concern so for me i think 
not a team at the Bucks where they have now three offensive line spots where they're starting over on the interior. It's not just uh, left guard. It's not just Ali Marquette retiring. It's also not Alex Kappa leaving. Now it's two new guards and a new center with uh, Ryan Jensen probably done for the year. That's a big problem for Tom Brady and the Bucks. So, you know, I, I think not only now, but then as the year goes on, as teams lose offensive linemen, it gets even tougher. So uh, offensive line, we don't always talk about it. It's not the sexiest position. But it is one of the most important spots on yeah. all the football fields. We should, absolutely. absolutely. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis Jacques in for Fitz. We're talking to Bill Barnwell. You can follow him at Bill Barnwell and listen to the Bill Barnwell show wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, off this list, were there one or two teams that you battled with putting in your contenders, or was it a pretty easy pick for you to narrow it down to 14? I went with ESPN's algorithm i basically mm. said espn should just kind of hold their end of the bargain up they got some fancy numbers people i'm not one of those people but teams like <laughs> the 49ers teams like the mm-hmm. bengals not projected to make the postseason the bengals. I the raiders as well yeah. I thought, I the bengals who made it to the super bowl a year ago <laughs> not projected to make it to the postseason according to espn's model which if i were a bengals fan i'd be upset too so obviously Still a lot to come during the regular season. Really 20 or 22 teams kind of in this mix here. But I chose the top 14 because, hey, 14 teams make the playoffs, and there's always going to be some changes. I mean, who, who would have expected the Bengals, who were in last place two years ago behind three playoff teams, to make it not just out of the AFC North, but to the Super Bowl a year later? Well, Bill, we love the content you continue to provide for us. I'm not even going to fight you on the Bears not being in that list. Uh, because uh, we know uh, that uh, it's going to be bad. It's going to be ugly. Uh, awesome stuff, as always. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, guys. Bill Barnwell with us here on Spain and Fitz. Coming up, more Nets content, plus a couple other beefs, too. We'll get to it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. RIP to Olivia Newton-John. Passed away at the age of 73, most famous for being the star of Grease, Sandy, and of course, a lot of her music and massive, massive fandom. Sort of this iconic representation for a lot of men of the first gal that they had a thing for in show business and uh, for a, a long, long, long career. Died after a struggle with breast cancer. Um, lots of great memories pouring in from a lot of folks, including, of course, her co-star, John Travolta, who signed his memories of her, your Danny, your John. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Marcel Louis-Jacques, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, never before has this been proved so true in the moment while we're recording a show. As Marlo, Marcel Louis-Jacques saying, the Nets aren't so much a basketball team as they are a content Provider. Well, we started the show with Kevin Durant's request, per sources telling The Athletic, for the Nets to say it's him or it's Sean Marks and Steve Nash. He didn't believe the direction the team was going in, and he did not want to be around if Steve Nash and Sean Marks were still the coach and GM. Well, fast forward to Joe Sy, the owner of the team, making his thoughts known in the very place we usually see Kevin Durant speaking out, social media. Joe Sy tweeting out about an hour ago, our front office and coaching staff have my support. We will make decisions in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. Now we are waiting 
a response from Kevin Durant. Worldwide Wob, I believe it was, was the one who said Josiah hung that up like a pinata for Kevin Durant. So we'll see <laughs> if he takes any swings. But adding to the content that we are getting in the moment on the Nets is Rick Buecher reporting that Ben Simmons left the Nets group chat after the team asked him to play in game four versus the Celtics this year. You remember, of course, that Ben Simmons sat out the first part of the season when he was on the 76ers, sat out the regular season, the play-in tournament, and then during the playoffs, there were some rumors he might be able to go. But per that recent report, following a Game 3 loss in Boston and heading into Game 4, some Nets players asked Ben Simmons in a group chat if he might be ready to go in Game 4. Per Rick Buecher, he did not answer and left the chat. Mike. I almost have to feel bad for Kevin Durant that he was left with James Harden who was like, yeah, I'm out of here. Kyrie was like, I'm good, bros. And then Ben Simmons who just leaves the chat. And it's just KD left. Like, it's incredible. Look, there, there's an episode of South Park where basically they're making fun of Family Guy and they're saying that it's basically a bunch of manatees that randomly choose idea balls of certain topics that are going to happen. That feels like <laughs> the, the Brooklyn Nets right now. Ben Simmons leaves the group chat when asked to play. Like, the, I, I can't believe this guy. And poor, Ugh. I want to mm. say poor Kevin Durant, but he's also uh, one of the most so temperamental players. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just so you, hard. How do you assemble pick, the pick Avengers of moody for. players? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I said this every time. I, like, I, I wish I could go back. I, I can go back to the shows when everyone was so high on this trio and I said it's not gonna work it's not just about talent you also have to have a team you have to have guys who want it guys who are unselfish guys who show up guys who care you put together the island of misfit toys then you ask yourselves why it doesn't work out well I think it's pretty clear and unfortunately I used to cape for Kevin Durant as a guy who was just in a couple bad situations I didn't call him a cupcake for going to the Warriors I thought that it was fine that he went to play there and that he wanted to get a title. But now it's like you are tying yourself to the wrong person in Kyrie, and now you're trying to basically point the finger anywhere but yourself for why things have ended up the way they have. It's like uh, Tobias in Arrested Development. You know, <laughs> It didn't work for them, but it might work for us. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out there's a reason why Kyrie <laughs> did not work in Boston, and Kyrie mm. didn't necessarily work without LeBron in Cleveland. There's a reason why Kevin Durant keeps leaving teams and can't find somewhere to, to settle down and is never satisfied. Putting them together, it's not going to cancel each other out. Like, this isn't algebra. Like, a negative times a negative isn't going <laughs> to equal a positive for you. It's just going to create a bigger negative. So I, I, I hope that they're, they've learned a lesson because the Brooklyn Nets are probably the worst franchise in pro sports at assembling super teams. This is two times now that it's fallen flat on their face when they've tried. I thought you were going to go, a fire! <laughs> Sale. <laughs> you went with Tobias. As far as we know, none of the Nets are never nudes, but I would not be surprised if Kyrie came through with that. You just, you just never know. Uh, we'll keep you updated on everything Nets. We have some other beefs to get to, though. We were talking earlier about the teams that managed to make good on guys that ask for a trade, that manage to make sure that they're happy enough to stick around. We've seen it across the NFL. We've seen it in places that uh, it didn't work out and they ended up splitting. But in the case of, of Debo Samuel, uh, he showed up. He got paid. 
everything's good, right? Well, two hours ago, Debo tweeted out, in quotations, Debo, how you doing? Debo, how your day going? Debo, you straight? Debo, how your mental? Debo, how's camp? Would be good to see sometimes. Prayer fingers, fingers crossed, just saying, it don't exist no more. Now, we sometimes, when we're trying to get the tea, have to read the tea leaves. And in this case, I'm guessing, but it sure sounds like he's basically saying, hey, nobody on the team seems to care about me now that the deal has been done. They were checking in. They cared a lot. They were always coddling me. They were always asking me what's good. And now that they got me locked up with the money, no one seems to care. Welcome to the business of the NFL, Debo. They made you a very rich man, and in return, they don't want to ask how you're feeling. I'm not saying it's right, but it can't be that much of a surprise. They were nice to you when they wanted something, and as a superstar football player, this cannot have been the first time it's ever happened to him. I'm, I'm sorry that he's going through it, though. Like I, I insist that as a NFL writer, it is our jobs to – continue to humanize players that are so mm-hmm. covered with protective equipment that fans and, and, and people outside forget that they're human, forget that they're people. They have feelings. They have emotions. So I, I'm sorry that he's going through it. I hope that, you know, it's a lesson to him to keep his, keep his circle tight or a reminder to him to keep his circle tight because those are the people that are going to care about you, not the ones necessarily signing your checks. Because the second you stop being able to fulfill your duties on the football field, they're going to go back to not caring about you. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you, but I will say that it, it would be pretty jarring if they were being overly aggressive and effusive with their praise to suddenly just snap your fingers and it's over. I get that it's a business, but the same people that were doing that, whether they're front office or coaching staff or otherwise, should understand what that feels like for it to suddenly be gone. And we're just guessing that that's what he's getting at. Uh, but it sure seems like it. Speaking of beef, we talked about this a little earlier, but Kareem Hunt, do you see more to this than just wanting to get paid? Do you see that there's any reason that he would want out on the Browns? Or is it just a matter of him looking at the situation and saying, I'm not going to get my money if I'm here? I think it's it's the latter. And we, we talked to my good friend Charles McDonald about this earlier. It's hard enough. Chuck. It, it is hard enough <laughs> for at four verts. It's hard enough to get paid <laughs> as an RB1. Like it, it, you're seeing, you've seen so many running backs have to fight kind of tooth and nail for that contract, that big second contract, and few, very few, if any, have actually lived up to it. I'm looking at Christian McCaffrey. I'm looking at Todd Gurley. It, it, it's it's been a difficult uh, process for the for NFL running backs. There's almost no precedent of a one B getting his money as well. Right. Yeah. So and I think. That, yeah, that that because we don't have any reason we haven't heard at least any reason especially when you've got Chubb who's caping for him and telling everyone like this is my best friend I don't know what I'd do without him sign him extend him uh, it doesn't seem like there's beef so much as him just looking at looking at the situation and not thinking he's going to get what he wants yeah he's still got another contract under him because you know he he only had I believe it was that one you know one season as a work you know yeah he missed nine back. games last year so he's still got some fresher legs He's got he has one major contract in him. And when I say major, I don't think anybody's going to give, you know, 15 a year to Kareem Hunt. But he might be able to get anywhere between that, you know, we'll call it nine to 12 range as a number one back for at least a year or two, maybe three if he if if he stays healthy. But he's not going to get that in Cleveland. 
yeah. because Nick Chubb is there, and you have to be crazy not to give Nick Chubb the ball. Yeah, and Spain and Fitz there, Spain. Marcel Louis-Jacques filling in for Fitz today. Uh, we didn't get to the Jante Murray, uh, Paolo Bancaro beef, and I think that might be all right because we were walking through it when the show started, and we were like, wait, okay, so it started with him when he did this, and then he was caught on tape, and then he tweeted this, but I think he Instagram DM'd this. I'm having trouble keeping up. And like I said, when you're trying to get the tea and you're reading the tea leaves, Marcel, those were a little too tough for us to read. A little bit, a little bit, though. But I, I, I do have to say that I saw maybe the funniest tweet of all when saying, oh, DeJounte Murray's really about it now that he's not in the NBA's private school. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.